This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today on CityCast Madison. How safe is our drinking water? PFAS, aka the toxic forever chemicals, are in both our drinking and groundwater, and they last, well, forever. We're still discovering the health risks posed by these chemicals, but animal studies have shown that PFAS chemicals can damage livers and immune systems, and research suggests that PFAS exposure increases risk of kidney and testicular cancer. The Madison Water Utility is spending millions to clean up one contaminated well near the airport. Producer Dylan Brogan caught up with Joe Grandy at the Madison Water Utility to learn more. It's Wednesday, August 9th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Joe, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Let's start at the beginning. What are PFAS and why are they called forever chemicals? PFAS is a class of man-made or human-made chemicals. They've been made since uh, the 1940s, 1950s that have really desirable commercial properties to consumer goods, and they've been used for many years. The reason why they're called forever chemicals is that they do not readily break down in the environment or in our bodies, they just are very chemically stable substances. And so once they're produced, they are going to be present in the environment uh, essentially forever. So like Teflon, that would be one example. Correct. You know, waterproof coatings on clothing, stain resistant coatings on carpets and upholstery, nonstick, oil resistant on food packaging. Those are other examples. In 2019, the Mass and Water Utility shut down a well because of elevated levels of these forever chemicals. That's well 15 um, by the airport. There is a plan in motion to filter out PFAS and get that well back online. That's something we haven't seen in Madison or I think the state before. So what's happening with that? With respect to well 15, we performed a feasibility study a few years ago to see how effective granular activated carbon, that's one of the most likely and demonstrated treatment technologies for removing organic contaminants, including PFAS. And we demonstrated that, in fact, it was very effective. And at that point, we really didn't have a funding source. So we kind of just put that on the shelf and we're just kind of waiting where we can come up with some money to underwrite this project. And then uh, along came the, the bipartisan infrastructure law that is providing lots of funding for emerging contaminants, including PFAS. So the federal government, that's how you were able to secure the funding for this new filtration system. Well, this sounds like kind of a big deal. Um, is that going to allow the mass and water utility to turn back on this well 15? Yeah. So right now what we have is a 90% design with plans and specifications for that system, essentially a biddable project, one that can be constructed. We just need the approvals from the Public Service Commission that oversees our rates. 
and the DNR that is the regulatory agency that oversees our operations. And once we have those approvals, we plan to move forward with the installation of equipment and modifications to our current well 15 and the water that comes off of these treatment systems should have no PFAS going out to our customers. Well, that's good news. For for people who live near Well 15 now, they're not getting their wa- they're drinking water from Well 15. W- where is it coming from and, and is it safe? Yeah, so uh, folks that are in the Well 15 area or that were formerly served by Well 15, they're getting their water from a mix of other wells, in particular Well 7, Well 11, and Well 29. Those are three nearby wells. Question of safety, all water that we deliver into our system meets all federal and state regulations for drinking water safety. So we would assert that uh, all water that we deliver uh, is safe and meets those drinking water standards. And that's over on the the city's northeast side by the airport, East Town area, right? Rindale Park? That's correct. The East Washington Corridor. PFAS are a problem all over the state. Is this the first kind of system that a utility is constructing to, to remove PFAS from our water? One of the drivers for the emergence of PFAS as a contaminant of concern really has to do with the incredibly low levels in which there are potential health effects. But there were not laboratory analytical technology to measure down to incredibly low levels that we're measuring, which is in the parts per trillion level. And that's trillion with a T. And the other piece is that the available technology hadn't been demonstrated to be able to treat down to these incredibly low levels. There are other communities in the state that are also pursuing PFAS removal from drinking water. And so over the last few years, there's been a lot more learning and a better understanding of these PFAS chemicals, of their potential health effects, and then also of potential treatment systems. And you explained it a little bit, but how does this filtering system work? So there's essentially three different technologies that will work to remove PFAS from from water. Uh, The first is granular activated carbon. And this is just a media in which you pass the water through it and the PFAS essentially sticks to the carbon. So that's a very common type. And I would say kind of the first generation of PFAS technology. Another type is something called anion exchange. Anion exchange essentially works similar to a water softener. A third type is reverse osmosis. This is where water is forced under high pressure through membranes that have tiny openings. So those are the three general ways in which you can remove PFAS from water. Okay, so this is like a $5 million Brita filter and and a water softener. Something like that, yes. I mean, oversimplification, but using those same principles. Using the same principles, but essentially you you have these very large steel tanks that are filled with either the carbon or the ion exchange resin, and the water passes through them, and it binds to the carbon and resin and outcomes to PFAS-free water. Why not drill a new well? Was that not a viable option in terms of solving this PFAS contamination problem in this area of the city, the northeast part of the city? That's one alternative that was considered. And we feel that in the next few years, we'll need not only treatment at well 15, but likely an additional well on the east side as well. So it's not something where we could simply just replace 
well 15 with a new well and feel like that we're set and done, that would not provide us the, the long-term security and needs for the water utility moving forward. So what happens to these PFAS once they're filtered out? They're called forever chemicals, as you explained. Does the, do they just end up in the landfill? Unfortunately, the treatment process does not destroy these PFAS chemicals. Like we said, they're forever chemicals. And so essentially what the treatment process does is it concentrates those PFAS chemicals and then they need to be delivered or transported somewhere else. And there's two types of disposal. One is you send it to a landfill, generally in a more arid climate, so you reduce the risk of contaminating groundwater. The other alternative is to incinerate, but increasingly studies are showing that it requires significantly high temperatures to adequately break down those PFAS compounds. And there are not a lot of incinerators that burn at those required high temperatures. So incineration, although it's an alternative, it, it's a less desirable one. So really landfilling is, is probably the only way to, di to dispose of these compounds. I mean, they're not joking around with this forever stuff. It seems like this is, even when you get it out of the water, you got to worry about it finding its way back into the groundwater. Yeah, that's for sure. Just talking about safe levels of PFAS is, you know, it's difficult to wrap your mind around parts per billion, parts per trillion. And what's added a lot of confusion is the state and federal government, you know, haven't really agreed on what's safe. So what does the mass and water utility consider a safe level for PFAS in our water? So as, as you're aware, there is a dizzying array of numbers that are being thrown out there in terms of safety and regulation. And I would say that in the state of Wisconsin, the current regulation is 70 part per trillion for PFOA and PFOS. That's the standard. Those are the only regulations for PFAS in the state of Wisconsin. However, the EPA recognizes that those numbers that were proposed by EPA, I believe in 2015, are not sufficiently protective of human health. And so they have proposed that there be a regulation of four part per trillion for PFOA and PFOA, PFOS, a significant reduction in terms of what that safe level is. We're just talking about PFOA and PFOS. PFAS are a class of thousands of different chemicals, and we're only talking about two. And EPA is considering regulating a total of six. Well, should we all be filtering our drinking water at home? You know, that's not my decision to make my decisions and you know my responsibilities here at the water utility is to provide the safest water possible given the the current state of the regulations and help the water utility plan for future regulations what i would advise doing is ensuring that you know what level of pfas is in your water if you get your water from a municipal public utility you know reach out to them read the consumer confidence report ask them what testing they're doing and what they've found if you're a private well owner, you should be testing your, your well for, for PFAS compounds. And then given your specific circumstances, then you need to make a decision about whether you want to filter your water or not. If you do make that choice to filter your water, it is highly recommended that you follow the manufacturer's recommendations for maintaining that filtration equipment because you may have a false sense of security that you're removing the PFAS for a longer period of time than that filter may be rated to remove. And I would also say 
that typically as a utility and a water quality specialist, we typically recommend only finding treatment systems that are certified by an independent third-party auditor that would certify and say, yep, it removes PFAS. There are treatment devices that do remove PFAS, but the only ones that are certified are to remove it down to that 70 part per trillion level. I'm not aware of any device that's been certified to remove PFAS below that level. So you live in Madison. Uh, I mean, do you have any qualms about drinking the tap water? I've been in Madison for over 20 years, and uh, I drink the tap water unfiltered. I drink tap water everywhere I go. I have a high degree of confidence in utilities to provide safe water, and I have a very high degree of confidence that the water, that Madison Water Utility can and does do that. Getting back to Well 15 on city's northeast side, how are we going to pay for this new filter? So we have budgeted $5.9 million for this total project, and those are some costs that we've already incurred. So these preliminary studies and the design work is part of that $5.9 million project. And we have submitted the project to the Wisconsin Safe Drinking Water Loan Program. So we hope to get a low interest loan that will help the utility pay for this over 20 years. I mean, what's the word around the mass and water, water utility about the proposed, I think it's a $10 billion legal settlement with 3M over PFAS contamination. I know Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call is calling for that settlement to be rejected because $10 billion is, isn't enough. Um, what we're doing here in Madison is already going to cost millions. Um, you can see why that adds up pretty quick. What are your thoughts on, on that lawsuit and that proposed settlement? Uh, I really don't have an opinion on that. And that is a, a decision that's taken up by the city attorney's office. All right. So are, are PFAS still being used at the airport? I mean, is this an ongoing contamination issue? So that's a great question. So there's a lot of work that's happening at the airport to investigate and remediate the existing PFAS that's in groundwater in the vicinity of the airport and the Air National Guard base. The Air National Guard provides fire protection services for the county, which operates the airport, and they still do use PFAS-containing firefighting foams, and that actually is a requirement currently for FAA-regulated airports. And I do know that the Department of Defense is looking at alternatives that would meet the performance criteria of those firefighting foams that don't contain PFAS. That's a work in progress. And then there are also discharges from that existing groundwater of PFAS into Starkweather Creek. And there are additional remediation efforts that are being taken to address that as well. So like you said, we're installing this filtration system on, on one of the wells, but we're still using firefighter foam to, to some extent near the airport. I mean, are we going to need these filters on, on more than just the well 15 at some point, you, do you think? So let me just take a, take a step back. That's one location where PFAS is still being, PFAS containing firefighting foams are still being used. The city of Madison Fire Department no longer uses PFAS containing firefighting foam. So that's something that was replaced a couple of years ago. Uh, I think the other piece is that PFAS containing compounds are ubiquitous in our environment. They're ubiquitous in our consumer products. And part of this is, you know, we can focus and I can have a discussion about drinking water, but I think that we also need to think about, you know, the PFAS that we're exposed to in our everyday life, in all of our consumer goods. And there, in, in my opinion, there needs to be 
uh, a greater emphasis on finding alternatives to PFAS within these consumer products and limiting human exposure in those kind of substances as well. But taking a broader look in the city of Madison, we do have about half of our wells. So Madison Water Utility operates 22 wells. About half of those uh, have some level of PFAS detection. In most cases, the PFAS measures below one part per trillion, which is well below the regulatory level that is currently enforced in the state of Wisconsin and well below what is being proposed by the EPA. So in that regard, we do not feel there will be need for additional treatment in any other well besides well 15. However, if there is a changing in the thinking or a better understanding of the potential health issues that drive us towards that decision to think about removing PFAS from these other wells, or if there's more cost-effective treatment as the technologies develop, then those are decisions that we'll make in the future. But at the same time, we have to be very cognizant of what those costs are. Uh, we already recognize that well 15 is going to cost somewhere between five and six million dollars and then that increases our annual operating costs so it's going to cost somewhere between a hundred thousand and three hundred thousand dollars a year just to maintain and operate that plant to magnify that times 20 or to even times 10 for half of our wells that's a very significant cost and would have a significant impact on water bills what we understand based on all the current information is well 15 needs a PFAS treatment system. The rest of our wells, although we have low levels of PFAS, they don't justify at this point adding treatment at those locations. Well, I don't know if I feel better or worse after this, Joe, but it sounds like the, the Madison Water Utility is taking this very seriously. Would you agree with that? I, I think I've made that point over and over. I'm sorry if you don't, I'm sorry if you don't feel better about having had this, this short conversation, but this is a challenging issue that will not be resolved in the next couple of years, you know, this will continue to be a problem. I think that's what worries me, is what you just said right there. What's that? That these chemicals are everywhere, that they're ubiquitous, like you said. But unfortunately, right now, we have a very diffuse distribution of those PFAS compounds. Like we said, to the extent that they're just about everywhere. I mean, your blood, my blood, 98% of the population statistically has some form of PFAS in their blood. Wildlife has PFAS in their blood. Um, and like I said, I know there's a lot of research in this area. We've talked with our representatives in Washington and have made it clear that that's where there needs to be additional investment. And then also looking at alternatives in consumer goods that don't rely on PFAS. Joe Grandy, he is the Water Quality Manager at the Mass and Water Utility. Thank you for telling us about this important topic. Thank you. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Elections. Another lawsuit has been filed seeking to throw out Wisconsin's political maps, calling them gerrymandered and unconstitutional. A group of Wisconsin voters who are also math professors are asking the Supreme Court to act. Seriously, the statisticians are offended by the maps. And speaking of elections, the Wisconsin Capitol Police are investigating a man for possible stalking of Wisconsin Election Commission head Megan Wolf. The man has filed dozens of lawsuits against state and local officials and is a 2020 election denier. He was previously fined by the Election Commission $1 for every frivolous complaint he filed. And he ended up owing thousands. 
And speaking of bad behavior, there's an update from the Madison School District. The district hired an outside law firm to investigate complaints against former communications director, Tim Lamonts. Unlike the district's original investigation, this one found that Lamonts did engage in bullying and retaliation against employees. He no longer works for the district. In other school district news, they've agreed to pay $18,000 in a settlement over public records. The district has also agreed to hire staff to fill the backlog of record requests and to create a public list of all pending requests. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this episode with a friend who's never changed their Brita filter? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Hasta entonces.